series called Jesus Is. And if you've missed any of these, we encourage you to follow us on iTunes. There's a, you know, if you guys podcast, we're out there for you. Um, and you can pick up all the previous messages. If you can't do that, but you want them on disc, we also make those available to you for free. And the reason we want to do this is because it's so important for us to know who Jesus is. And all of you have a story of who Jesus is to you. And it might be that he, for you, was a deliverer. He was the one who was your provider. He was the one who was your helper. I don't know what your story is, but isn't it beautiful that we have a Jesus who can be so many things to so many different people right where we need him to be? And that's the whole point of this. Sometimes we don't just stop and think about how wonderful Jesus has been and will be and currently is in your life today. We've been talking about how Jesus is grace, how Jesus is the source, how Jesus is the way. And today we're going to button it up. We're going to end our series. We get ready for Easter next Sunday with one more message about who Jesus is. Before we get to it, um, I I worked with uh, with kids for about 17 years, and I'm still... I'm still a sucker for a good elementary school joke. So uh, those of you who, you know, have ever heard kids tell jokes, it's just, they don't even have to be funny. And they're funny, at least to them, extremely funny. But I, I bump into one that, that you know, just because I, I like this kind of humor. So this is grade school humor, all right? It's, it, here's, here it is. What did the pencil sharpener say to the pencil? Stop going around in circles and get to the point. Right? So, some of you know what that feels like, not to be a pencil, but to be the person who says, quit going around in circles and just get to the point. Because you've had that conversation with somebody where it just rambled and rambled. And in the back of your mind, you're screaming out loud, just get to the point. In fact, some of you, I know because I've met a few, some of you are statement finishers. You can't, you're just, you're trying to help them in the sentence, and you're trying to find the words for them. Why? To get to the point. Why? Because we are people who aren't real patient with a process. We like to get to the point. And in so doing, we've become kind of an impatient people. You don't believe me, just go to DMV tomorrow. <laughs> right? How many of you know when you go to DMV, you've got a point, you've got a reason why you're there, but your point doesn't trump their process? You just, you kind of have to do the things that happen. I think the only reason God is allowing DMV to stay in our world today is to keep us patient. Because everything else in the world has swayed toward our tendency to get to the point. For example, you go to a fast food restaurant, right? You're in the drive through lane, and you're getting impatient, you don't remember, remember the days before fast food when you had, actually had to go to a restaurant, sit down, order from the menu, wait for the food to come. Now, I can, on my smart device, I can order up a burger, go park in front of McDonald's and have it brought out to me. That's how immediate things are today. We just like things, we like to get to the point. In fact, social media shows us the same thing. Some of you, if you do more than three lines of text in your Facebook message, chances are I'm not going to read it because I like to get to the point. I'm more of a Twitter kind of person where you got to say it in 140 characters, just kind of get it out there because we like to get to the point. So what's the point? The point is we like to get to the point. And as we end this series today, I just want to get to the point. 
And for the next 30 minutes, <laughs> get to the point with you about who Jesus is. And this is it. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. I mean, when, when we think about all of Scripture, Jesus is the point. When it comes to your walk with Christ today or your Christianity today or, or whatever you're doing here today, whatever brought you here today, the point is Jesus. And sometimes we have to be reminded about that, especially when we have found ourselves maybe getting burdened and overwhelmed by all the other stuff when the point really should be Jesus. So I want you to get your Bibles handy. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles there in the seat for you to use. They're yours. Take them for free. Um, if you also have a smart device, we encourage you to use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, to find our notes there as well, because Jesus is the point of this message. In John chapter 5, before we read the passage that I have uh, from there to read, I just got to give you the backstory. So Jesus is ministering, and it's a Sabbath day. And so according to the Jewish law, you couldn't work on the Sabbath day. But Jesus was coming into a region, and, and in this area near Jerusalem, there was a pool, the pool of Bethesda. And this pool was believed to have had some kind of supernatural qualities to it. And, and the, the, the story goes that, that an angel would stir the water. And when the waters were stirred, all of those who were, who were invalids, who were ill, who were uh, in some way disabled, would try to make their way into the water. Because if you were the first one to get into the water when it was stirred, you would be healed. Well, on this Sabbath day, there was a man there at the pool who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. I don't know if every day for 38 years this man went to this pool or not. But all it tells us, and it tells us very clearly in Scripture, that he had been this way for 38 years. And he came to this pool hoping that maybe he could get into the waters and be healed. But Jesus comes to that man, talks with him. The guy says, hey, I... I I can't get better because every time the water is stirred, I can't get up fast enough. I don't have friends to help me. So I'm giving you kind of the condensed version. I encourage you to read this on your own to get the whole story. But Jesus looks at him and says, get up, take your mat, and go. And as soon as the man obeyed Jesus, he was healed. Just instantaneously healed. And so he picks up his mat and he begins to walk. And he gets stopped by the Pharisee police. Because there were people who would watch you if you were Jewish. They would watch to catch you breaking the law. They didn't watch to say, hey, good job for following the law. Generally, it was to catch you doing wrong. And this guy was stopped by a Jew, accosted for carrying his mat on the Sabbath day. And the guy said, well, look, this, I was healed by this guy, and he told me to take my mat and go home. And the Jew was like, well, who told you to do that? He's like, I don't, I don't know who he was. A little bit later, this man that was healed and Jesus meet up again, and Jesus has some more words for him, and the guy learns his name is Jesus, and so he tells the Jews, it was this guy named Jesus who healed me. And so the Jews make a beeline for Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath day, which means he did work on the Sabbath. And if he really was who he said he was, why would he be breaking the law, the Sabbath law? Why would he do that? And so they confront Jesus and they have a conversation with him. 
Now, you have to understand something about the Jews. They studied scriptures. This was their life. And so they would know, they would study diligently scriptures. They would, especially the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they would know this stuff. They knew the Bible backwards and forward. And for them, the Bible was the Old Testament. There was no New Testament, okay, because it was happening live, all right? So all they had were the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. That was their Bible. And they would study that, and they would know it. And Jesus gets to the point with them over this issue. Let's look at it. In John chapter 5, 39, he says, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. So here were people who were zealous for the law of God, and that misplaced zeal blinded them to the Son of God, the living Word, the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among them, and they didn't see Him. Even though they knew Scripture which spoke of Jesus, they didn't see Him. See, Jesus commended them for studying Scripture, which I think is a good thing, but then He condemned them for totally missing the point. Because it's, it's horrible and it's absolutely humbling that people devote their lives to searching the Scriptures and yet miss the point of the Scriptures. It's that saying, they can't see the forest for all the trees. And all they can see is the trees in high definition. They know the bark, they know the kind of bark they should be in there, they know the number of needles, but they can't see that it's a forest. And here's Jesus. They can't see that all of Scripture is about him. In fact, Jesus would say to them, kind of in a roundabout way, you can't read those words without reading about me. You can't look at the law and not see me. You cannot look at the stories of history and the Psalms and the poetry and the prophets and not see me because I am the one in which all of those scriptures speaks and is fulfilled. See, the Jews were trained in scriptures. They should have been ready for Jesus. Right? They knew the Bible. They should have known when he came that he fit the bill. They should have expected and welcomed him and, and yearned for him and yielded to him but because they searched scriptures diligently. They had no excuse. And that was the point Jesus was trying to make. He was speaking to those who had devoted their entire lives to studying the scriptures and yet absolutely missed the point. You ever done that before? Not necessarily about scripture, but, but maybe you were so focused on the peripheral items of something or the details of something that you totally missed the point. Or maybe you were having a disagreement with your spouse and it was all about all this random stuff, but nobody could see the point. That's what happens with the Jewish people. They just don't see the point, and the point was Jesus. They failed to recognize the nature of God's unfolding revelation that was fulfilled in the man standing in front of them, Jesus. And from this perspective, they saw Scripture as kind of flat. God gave us Scripture, and that's it. And we know God by what's in Scripture. But what Jesus was showing is that Scripture is more layers. It was the Old Testament, but there were going to be layers of a continued revelation of who God is in the living Word who made Himself flesh, as John 1 says, and dwelt among them. In fact, you can understand more clearly the Old Testament when you read it with the perspective of Christ. There's some stuff in the Old Testament, friends, we look at it and go, this is weird. This is really hard. 
And you kind of go, but that's not really the point. The point is Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we see more clearly the revelation of God through Scripture and then obviously through the God made flesh, Jesus who came to be among us. And, and he touched on this in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 because Jesus is preaching. And I think if he had something to say, we probably all should listen. And he's preaching this sermon. He starts off with Beatitudes, blessed are, and he kind of lists all the blessed people. He talks about salt and light. And then he throws something down that just about confused and maybe even scared everybody in the group. Matthew 5, 17. This is the words of Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's an important point. Don't miss that. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness, that's an important phrase, don't miss it, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly never enter or certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were average Joe in the crowd that day who was following Jesus because he looked like a revolutionary. He looked like somebody who maybe was a little bit different than the religious system of the day, and you just heard that, all of your hopes would be dashed. Especially that last phrase, oh, by the way, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. All of a sudden, the attention of everybody in the room is focused on Jesus because, one, the Pharisees love it because he's talking about them. It's like, that's right, Jesus. They got to be righteous like us. Wait, you just kind of also slammed us because they have to surpass our righteousness to get into the kingdom of heaven. So they, they were kind of left with a little bit of a wound, but all of the rest of the commoners who knew the Pharisees were this high standard they could never do, and they always felt the load and the guilt of the law went, man, my chances are gone because I will never be that righteous. But that's the point. And I think the hard part about this passage for us to understand is that that wasn't Jesus' ending statement to the Sermon on the Mount. It wasn't his closing point. But now that he has everybody's attention, he's helping them recognize the futility of the law in and of itself to produce the kind of righteousness God wants. So, what's he do? He jumps from what he just talked about to his sermon that talks about, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, you see that quite often. For example, he says to the crowd, you have heard that it was said, do not commit murder. And everybody's like, okay, I think I'm good. I haven't murdered anybody. I think, you know, I'm one step up the ladder of righteousness, okay? So it's good. But then Jesus flips the table and says, but if you, if you hate your neighbor... It's like all of a sudden he elevates hatred. He gives a new handle, a new title to this issue of, of sin. And he says, oh, and also, you've heard that it was said to not commit adultery. A little bit more people in the crowd started getting a little bit nervous. They're like, okay, I'm pretty sure I've been faithful to my wife, says the guy who puts the Fisherman Illustrated version 
swimsuit edition away in his little robe and think I've been faithful to her. But then Jesus drops the bomb and says, but I say to you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. What's he begin to do? He takes the law, which is very hard, and he drives it inward because he knew the Jewish people were making the law very external. It was about behavior. It was about doing good and being good, and not that that is a bad concept, but that's your motivation. It's wrong. You're missing the point. The point is Jesus. Now, here's the thing he does. We'll see it a little bit later, but in essence, what he's trying to do is help them to understand his role with the law. What's he say? I didn't come to abolish it, but I came to fulfill it. Now, that word is probably a little weak for the Greek term that is used in the translation of our Bible. The way it should be communicated is to perfect the law or to complete the law or to fully fill the essence or the true spirit of the law. What was that? A matter of the heart. In fact, in the prophets, we see Jesus talk about how a day is coming, not Jesus, but the prophets are hearing the voice of the Lord say, a day is coming when I'll remove your heart of stone and I will place in it a heart of flesh and I will write my laws upon your what? The walls of your church, upon the walls of of stone? No, on your heart. And then when Jesus was asked to summarize the law and the prophets, what did he say? Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, love is not an externally motivated deal, is it? Love starts here in the center. And what Jesus is doing is helping everybody recognize something very, very, very important. That the law, although it is a sta- it, it's a static term of measurement, which only can correct outward behavior, is never going to be enough to deal with the real issue. And what is the real issue? It's the heart. And he says, so unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, which means unless you do really, really good, trying to do harder, and the point is, even with a perfection to that law, it would never deal with the sinful nature. All it could be was a behavior modifier. That's all it could be. So Jesus talked about your righteousness, but then pretty soon he's going to introduce something entirely different to us that totally flips the tables on all of us. So what's the point? Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. You see, God knew that the Jewish people could never keep the commands of the the laws. That's why as soon as they were given, He also released to them the sacrificial system. I I know you're going to fail on these points, so when this happens, here's what has to happen, because there is a consequence for sin. There's a consequence for transgression. In fact, the purpose of the law was to basically show us this is what sin is. This is what transgression is. And when that happens, here's what you have to do. You have to offer a sacrifice. So God kind of knew that's why that was given right away. But what we have to see in the book of Hebrews helps us get this, is that that was not meant to be the permanent solution to man's sin nature. Okay? It was given for an unholy people to live in the presence of a holy God, to be their chosen people. But everything, the sacrifices, the laws, the tabernacle, all of those things we see in the Old Testament that kind of confuse us, we have to recognize they're pointing to the point, which is Jesus. And that's what Hebrews, again, 
shows us, and we won't go there today, but Jesus touches on this in Matthew 11 when he invites people. See, we, we began in John where he said, you look in the scriptures, they speak about me, but you don't come to me. You try to approach God through this means, but now look what Jesus does. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's break this down for a minute because I think these few words from Jesus are world changers for people who have been trying harder and maybe failing. Maybe today you kind of feel like that spiritual failure. You've, you've tried following God, you've tried following Jesus, and you're trying harder and trying harder and trying harder, and you're missing the point. Jesus is the point, and that's what he's trying to say in these words. So he says, come to me. Now, what's he saying? When he says, come to me, what he's not saying is, go to a program, go to an institution, go to a religion, go to a program. Those are not bad, but it's missing the point, isn't it? Come to me. The law was impersonal. Jesus is personal. He's very personal. And he says, come to me. We don't get to Jesus through following rules, we come to Jesus through a personal relationship. Now, this phrase is all the difference in the world to some of you in the room today, because some of you have been trying to get to Jesus. You're trying to get there by being better, trying harder, and, and following the law more stricter, and you're trying to get to Jesus. But he doesn't say it that way, does he? He says, come to me. Come to me as an invitation of relationship. You can't have a relationship with a law very well. It doesn't really work, but you can with a personal Savior named Jesus. Come to me. And he says, all who are weary and burdened. Notice he doesn't say, you know what? Deal with your baggage and then come to me. Aren't you glad he doesn't do that? He says, you know what? Come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. I know that this law has been hard around you. I know that life has been challenging. You've tried to honor me, and it's been hard. So deal with your junk before you come to me. No, that's not what he says. Bring your weariness. Bring your burden to me, and I will give you rest. And here's the thing he says, and we have to understand, I will give you rest, he says. You will never find the rest you are looking for outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be good, how much you try to be spiritual, how much you try to be Christianish. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus, you will never find that rest. He says, I will give it to you. I will give you rest. You can't find it friends, in a self-help book. You can't find it in a feel-good movie. I will give you rest, he says. And then he goes on. Well, in fact, I got to I quote a famous quote because I think it's important because we had a lot of people who are restless, and it's that restlessness that drives them to do stupid stuff, right? But listen to St. Augustine. These are words from a guy who lived a long time ago, but his words are just as important today, except we don't use the these and thous. But listen to it. He says, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. 
Some of you are restless right now because you feel like you're not doing enough, that God doesn't love you enough, and you're trying harder because of this restlessness within you. And Jesus is saying, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're burdened. I know you're trying really hard, but you're missing the point. I'm the point. Come to me, and I will give you rest. But it's not just easy chair Christianity now. It's not just, you know, throw back the lazy boy and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to sit back now because he calls us to do something else. We come to him for rest, but then he tells us to take something up. He calls it a yoke, not the yellow part of an egg, although I do like that part of an egg. He takes, he says, take my yoke. What's he talking about? A yoke was that wooden harness that was put over the shoulders of a beast of burden Maybe an ox or a couple of cow or whatever. It was what they would use to do their work, to plow the fields, to do whatever had to be done. And the whole point was you put two oxen together, you, you just multiply the power of your, of your ability by harnessing them together, by putting a yoke upon, the, upon them. And so this idea of a yoke isn't physical. We don't put a wooden harness on us, but what's it talking about? That word is often used to talk about the law, And it's also used to talk about discipleship. If you were a teacher, a rabbi, and you had somebody who wanted to follow you, you would talk about they would put on the yoke of your rabbi hood, of your leadership, and they would wear that with you. Again, it wasn't physical. It was just an image of coming together. Now, here's the deal. Imagine a Jewish people, and the only yoke they have had was to the law. Okay? So they are harnessed to law. How helpful is the law going to be? The law is impersonal, it is static, it's not going to lift a finger to help you do what it's demanding you to do. It is just there, which means all of the burden of that yoke is placed on you. And that's a load nobody could bear, and Jesus knew that. That's why he said, come to me. Now imagine differently placing that yoke that Jesus offers you upon you. All of a sudden, you've got somebody who's not impersonal, you've got a person who not only fully obeyed the spirit of the law, that's why he was perfect within his own heart. He honored his father. He loved people. He loved God. He fulfilled the law of love, which was what the commands really were all about, loving God and loving people. I had to just kind of give handles on how to do that. And Jesus said, if you start with the heart, it's going to work out. So he fully completes and, and, and satisfies the law in himself. And now you're harnessed with Jesus. You're taking that yoke upon you. Think about the difference. All of a sudden, who took the burden of that? Was it you? It was him. His yoke was called a cross that he was placed upon where he died to pay the penalty for your brokenness and your sin, that you could have a new kind of righteousness. Remember, he said to them, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you'll never come to the kingdom of God. You're never going to have enough righteousness. That's why I'm going to give you mine. I'm going to place my righteousness upon you. And you're going to learn from me, for I am meek and humble. And you will find rest for your souls. How many times is rest used in that passage? Twice. Twice. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That first rest is talking about when we come to Jesus, there is a peace that we experience with God. We are at rest with the one who is our creator. And we don't look at God through the lens of an angry God who hates us. We're now at peace with him. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. What's that talking about? That's talking about the peace 
of God that abides in us. The rest. Some of you need to experience this kind of rest, and it can only happen when you come to Jesus and His righteousness is yours, and He yokes Himself to you. You're going to go a lot further, a lot faster with Jesus than you're ever going to go in trying to take the yoke of the law upon you to earn God's favor. But that wasn't the point. The point was Jesus. Come to me and you will find rest for my burden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the thing. You and I will never have a personal righteousness of our own that will appease God. Never going to happen. If that was possible, Jesus would have never had to come, become the Word of God made flesh, Son of God. He would never have to be the Lamb of God who would go to the cross and die for your sins. That wouldn't be necessary if there was any other kind of workaround, but God knew there wasn't because your righteousness will never be enough. That's why Jesus had to die, pay the price of our sins, and then His righteousness was placed upon us. And when God sees us, He sees the righteousness of His Son. God will never love you more than He loves you right now. He will never love you less than He loves you right now. God will never accept you more through your good behavior than He has right now or any less through your bad behavior than He is right now. See, the point is, Jesus was the point. And when we take the invitation seriously and say, I'm going to come to you, Jesus, and I'm going to find rest, when we take that personal, when we make that relationship our choice, then the benefit of that is we can stop trying harder to do gooder. I know that's not very good English, but that's the point. Now, does that mean I'm not for holiness? No, don't get me wrong. I'm all for living a holy and righteous life. But here's the difference. I'm not doing it to earn a favor of a God. I've already got that. I already have his love. I already have Christ's righteousness placed upon my life. I do it because my heart has been changed. And I desire in here to honor him. And that's all the difference in the world. I'm coming to Jesus because I love him and I want to be loyal to him. And it's not because I'm trying to earn something more from him by being good. And this is where a lot of people get, tend to get confused is, well, then if Jesus, his righteousness is on me, then why can't I live however I want to? Because you're missing the point. The point is always Jesus. And if he is the point, then he is the aim of my love and my loyalty. If he is the point, which he should be, if Jesus is the point, then he is the aim of your love and your loyalty. This makes all the difference in the world because now I choose to honor God because I love what he did in my life, because I love Christ. I love the Father. I want to honor them in how I live. And by the way, the Holy Spirit dwells within me to give me the ability to do that that I never would have had on my own. You see, it all came to fulfillment when Christ went to that cross and died. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to all of those who were receiving salvation. That fulfilled the essence and the spirit of the law because now it's hearts 
being transformed by the work of the Spirit and honoring God and in the meantime being clothed in the righteousness of Christ because I'm still going to fail. I'm still going to sin. But when he looks at me, he sees righteousness. And I hope and pray he sees faithfulness. That's what I want. Not legalism, faithfulness. That's what I want to be. And I hope that's what you want to be when he is the point. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, Kelly, I've needed to hear this because I have been, I've been, an, I've been restless. I've been, an, I've been totally feeling a sense of unrest because I'm worried that God doesn't care for me right now. I'm worried that I've lo- somehow maybe lost that. And I'm trying so hard to do good and earn God's favor. But today, you've reminded me that Jesus is the point, not my behavior. Jesus is the point. And if you're here and you're saying, Kelly, I, I needed to hear this today, and would you pray with me? Then with our heads bowed and eyes closed, just raise a hand and say, that's me. I needed to hear this today, Kelly. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Anybody? I needed to hear this today because I've been trying hard and trying harder, and I keep feeling like it's not enough. You're right. It's not. It's not going to be enough. Because then Jesus would have been pointless. But he is the point. Anybody else? I needed to hear this today, Kelly. Maybe some of you, this is still hard for you to understand because you were raised in a very legalistic religious system. And it wasn't about a relationship. It was all about rules. And you had to come to Jesus through a series of rules. I'm sorry that that's what you were taught. And maybe you need to unlearn some things today. Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. Maybe you need to learn some new things from him about the way that he wants to work in your life as a relationship, not as rules that are so unbending and harsh. So Lord, today you know know our hearts. You know that for some of us, there is such a strong tendency because we're very black and white. We're very legalistic. You know, for some of us in the room, it's very hard to rest because we feel like we've got to be doing more to earn your favor. That's not who you are, God. You're not the Pharisee police waiting to catch us doing bad. You came as a Savior who said, come to me if you're weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. So God, I pray right now for all of us in this room, but especially those that this message has spoken directly to. God, I pray they would leave here today no longer restless, but knowing that you love them and the righteousness of Christ is placed upon their life. Because when we try to do it any other way, our righteousness, Paul says, are like filthy rags. It will never work. So thank you, Lord, for dying on a cross for us, for taking that consequence of our sin pointed out by the law and then dying for that, that we might have forgiveness before God finally once and for all. And we enter that by grace that you've given us and by faith we approach it, Christ, and we say thank you for being our Savior and forgiving us and and imputing your righteousness upon us until we are made perfect, which, by the way, won't happen in this lifetime. 
but we have all eternity to live in you with perfect holiness and righteousness. So in the meantime, Lord, help remind us to rest in you, to focus our love and our loyalty toward you, because when we love you and when we're loyal to you, all the rest of these things concerning our behavior will take care of itself. So we rest in you today, Jesus. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 